So we're going to get into our uh, sermon today, but before we do that, I just want to know how many of you like cooking shows? How many of, okay, a good, a good amount of you. Growing up, 15, 16, 17, 18, I would come home, and my dad worked weird hours, so he was home in the afternoon a lot, and I would come home, and he'd be watching cooking shows. He'd always watch that one woman that loves butter. I don't remember her name, but she, you know, butter this and butter that, right? You probably know who I'm talking about. As a teenager, I thought that was just like the lamest thing I had ever seen in my life. Like even for an old man's standards, that's really, really lame. But in my mid-30s now, uh, a significant part of the media I intake every week is cooking channels or cooking shows. And some of you agree. I saw it by your hands raised. So I found my way following my father. One of the things that I really like, though, are food competition shows. Right? How many people are like into Chopped or Kitchen Nightmare or not Kitchen Nightmare? What's the one? Cutthroat Kitchen. The ones where they sabotage each other and stuff. And so the idea is that they get this concept, right? I want you to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. The best peanut butter and jelly sandwich that you can make. So the judge goes away, and while he's away, the contestants are able to sabotage each other. They might take away somebody's loaf of bread, or you might have to make your own peanut butter now, or you can only use habanero jelly, right? Just like crazy things. So what happens is that when the judge comes back, he gets a peanut butter and jelly sandwich from these different contestants, and everyone's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but it's the same concept, but it's presented to them in a different way. Today we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Ephesians does a great job of opening this wonderful conversation to the third personhood of the Trinity. I really believe that that needs a whole series or a whole uh, dedicated time to itself. And so this is going to be really just a glossary view, a a high-level view of the Holy Spirit and the basic concepts that we as a church and assemblies of God, a Pentecostal church, believe in. And so we're going to kind of go through the next few weeks just spending a little bit of time with this. Not a deep dive, but... A high dive? Is that a better way to say it? Probably not, but you understand what I'm getting at here. Flyover. That's great, Marty. At the basic level, there's two versions or two receivings of the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. It's kind of like a peanut butter and jelly served two different ways. And the Holy Spirit comes in two different ways upon us. And you've probably heard this terminology before. The Holy Spirit indwelling versus the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe the infilling versus the Spirit baptism, whatever terminology you're comfortable with or you've heard before. Today, though, specifically, we're going to be talking about the very first and most basic or accessible way that we have to encounter the Holy Spirit. And that is His calling and His indwelling. We will get in a few weeks to the baptism of the Spirit and dive deeper into that. But today I really just want to focus on the calling and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I grew up with a book called Ping. Anybody ever read that book or their mother or father read that book to them? I didn't expect it. It's about Vietnamese people and ducks. So I didn't expect you guys to get that. But I'm Vietnamese and my dad likes to eat ducks. So we grew up with that story. So we grew up with this book called Ping. There's a story about a fisherman who owns a bunch of ducks. And he shows up at, on the banks of the shore, and he, every morning he lets the ducks out. And they go out, and they eat. And then every night he comes back to the boat, and he calls the ducks. And the ducks all come home safe for the night. One day, Ping ignores the call. He misses the call. And so the story is really about how this duck, Ping, finds his way back home. 
Eventually he does, but he spends a little bit of his time, a little bit of his life lost. The most basic principle of the gospel is that Jesus died for the whole world. And that God has a deep, unsatiable desire that all of his children would find their way home. He's a father expectantly waiting for his children to come back home. And the Holy Spirit is God's spirit. It's God's call on every person's heart to come back home. I'm going to go back to the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36. This is a time when Israel has been separated. They've been, they've been looking for the promise of God. They're kind of lost, not understanding where he is. And God sends this prophetic word to his people. He says, Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the Sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is. The name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the Sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I'll sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. I'll give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender and responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. I believe this goes beyond just a call to the Jewish nation, but a call to God's children to bring those lost back home. I think it shows how God does that is that in ourselves we inherited a stone, stony and a cold and unresponsive heart to God. And the initial call is from God's Spirit. Jesus says in John 6, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day I will raise them up. We're all called. But we're all given the choice to either receive or to decline that call. I don't know about you guys, but how many of you in a moment of honesty in church and before the Lord, more often than not, sends a call to your voicemail than answers it? None of you? You all answer the call? Am I the only person in here that does that? Like, not right now, later? Okay, well, you guys are better than me. Much more present than I am. Good on you. But there's other people, not in this church apparently, but in the world. <laughs> they get a call and they send it straight to voicemail. Before you ever had a desire for God, before you ever had an inclination for him, he was already drawing you and calling your name back to himself. This is work we did earlier, a few weeks ago, before you were even born. He predestined and chose that he would find a way to pull you back into the kingdom of God. Before we even had a chance to leave the kingdom of God, he already had a plan in place, ready to go to bring you back into his family. None of us come to God of our own volition or first volition. It's a response to a call that God sent out first. And that is the first way that we interact with the Holy Spirit. 
we feel this prompting in our heart, a, a, a tugging, a pulling, a, a drawing close to God, a longing to fill a desire that we try to fill with earthly means. We try to satisfy. But talk to anybody that's ever lived in the world for any extent of time, and you'll find out that sooner or later, nothing fills that void like God. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. God calls, God prompts, he, he draws us all like the duck ping, but you have the ability to either respond or to decline that call. Because God's not pushy. He won't shove you, he won't force you. He won't push you through the door. And this is a sticky point for some people when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Is that maybe you're scared of losing control of your life. Maybe in the literal sense of, if the Holy Spirit comes on me, will I not be able to control my voice or control my body? Maybe it's a sense of your desires or the way you live my life. If, if, the Holy, if I say yes to God, will that mean I have to change my friend group or the way I spend my money or the way I spend my time? The way I find pleasure in life? But God doesn't force you. He calls you. He has all the power to be able to show up in mighty ways, but he chooses to find small ways that entices us to walk into the kingdom of God. It's kind of like the idea of that it seems like big dogs are the most loving and the most gentle with children. I don't know if you ever grew up with a big dog, but we had a big chow that I grew up with, and we have pictures of just laying on him and jumping on him. We've trained our dog from a young age that at any moment a child might attack you, and how are you going to respond? I do that mostly by waiting and jumping on my dog when she's least expecting it. There's this beautiful thing about a dog that has all the power to be able to take life, to dominate, to control, but when it submits when it, when it allows you to lay on them, when it, when it lets you, takes you in and comforts you and nurtures you, it's a beautiful thing. If you've ever seen a tiny kid just laying on a dog and treating that dog like another parent. God has all the power in the world that he could just force us, manipulate us, push us into his presence. But instead he draws us to himself, calls us. It's not an irresistible call. You've been allowed and given the opportunity to say no in this lifetime. He's gentle with you. He's a gentleman. He won't force you to do something that you choose not to do. And so how do we receive this new spirit? How do we answer that call that God sent to us? Ephesians 1.13 Gentiles, you've also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you by his own, as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about positioning ourselves, putting ourselves in a place to receive God's blessing. All the things of the Spirit. And this is no different. The core concept here is that as soon as you believe, God's Spirit dwells with you. Paul's showing the simultaneous action is that when you believe, you receive. When you believe in the name of Jesus, you receive God's Spirit. Sometimes in good meaning people, we ask each other, have you received the Holy Spirit? 
And that is kind of the peanut butter and jelly kind of two-way version. And that's not a wrong question, but out of the right context, it can be understood in the wrong way. Every single person in this room or in the world who has ever called Jesus Lord and Savior has received the Holy Spirit. If you call Jesus Lord and Savior, God's Spirit came in that moment and dwells with you. Just skipping a little bit ahead, I know you guys are loving 3 through 14, but we're going to jump into chapter 2 just a little bit in our Ephesians. 2 verses 19 through 22, Paul says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God lives in you? God's presence no longer habitates physical places. It used to be that to come into God's presence, you'd have to go into the, the tabernacle, into the temple, into the holy places made holy by physical and earthly means. But through the cross, God's able to habitate your, your, your heart. He comes in right now. He's close, he's present, and tangible to you. His presence is accessible to any person that calls Jesus Lord and Savior. His presence is right here and near you. This is all possible, though, because we are made new and right by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the cleansing and the restoring and the recreating of the Holy Spirit by our belief in Jesus, we are acceptable now to God. And he comes and he dwells with you. If you've ever felt like you've had to go to somebody else to intercede to God for you, your understanding of God is wrong. You are able to go directly to God. That was not always the case. It used to be that you had to go through processes to cleanse yourself, to be able to come into God's presence. But when you believe now, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you call Jesus Lord and Savior, not only have you responded to the call, but God's presence, God's Spirit has been poured out into your life. And you're walking around with it, and you may not even be aware of it. God's presence no longer inhabits physical places, but he takes up residence in our heart and lives. This was not always acceptable. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. In our very nature, the thing that we received, our inheritance from Adam, our first father, the things that we got from him, we were unacceptable to God. A few weeks ago, Meyer was, had all their uh, strawberries on sale, kind of last clearance days, and they were really cheap, and so we bought a, a good handful of them to clean and to freeze for the future. And so we cleaned them all and put them on the counter to, to dry, and we went to bed. And when we woke up, we came downstairs. We realized that most of them had gotten moldy. 
overnight. Caved in, became disgusting, fruit flies. I don't know how they appear that quickly, but just out of nowhere, man, they came into our house. And we threw the whole batch away. In ourselves, we are unacceptable to God. We like to present this loving Father that is just willing to, but do you realize that your sin makes you unable to be in a holy God's presence? We're not going to get into today, but there's a really weird story in the Old Testament about golden tumors and rats. It's in 1 Samuel. And I'm not going to tell you where, but extra credit, go find that if you're a teenager. It's a really cool, like, story. Go find that. There's fish heads and just weird stuff in it, man. But there's this story, these stories in the Old Testament where sin literally killed you when you enter God's presence. That's called God's holy wrath poured out on us, and we all deserve it. God's not your boyfriend. God's not this loving, cuddly. He is a powerful force, an all-knowing God. And our sin disqualifies us from being in his presence. It makes you unacceptable. It makes you moldy. It makes you in a place where he will throw you out. But God, we talked about it a few weeks ago, but God. I'm going to read 113 again, but this is from the ESV translation. And it's important to get this wording. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. There's this idea of sealing. This word sealing is also a market was used to brand cattle. It was this idea is that when you enter God's house, when you believe in the name of Jesus, he literally puts the Holy Spirit, his presence inside of you, And he marks you as his own. He marks you as acceptable. He says, you're not part of that flock. You're part of my flock. And he brings you in. He changes your status with him to make you acceptable. In Homer's epic, Odysseus, he lands on this island of the Cyclops. During his journey from the Trojan War to Prometheus, he... Oh, sorry, I really messed this up. Let's start again. In Homer's epic... Odysseus lands on the island of Cyclopses on his way home. And so this whole story is just this weird encounter where he meets the Cyclops called Prometheus. And so instead of inviting them in and being hospitable to them, he traps them in a cave. He eats four of Odysseus's men. And so Odysseus knows that he has to get out somehow. So in the middle of the night, through uh, cunning and Bravery, Odysseus blinds the Cyclops, but they're still trapped in the cave. So in the morning, the Cyclops wakes up, blinded, unable to see. He sits at the entrance of the cave. He rolls the stone away, and he starts letting his sheep out to graze. So Odysseus and his men tie themselves to the bottom of the sheep, so that as the sheep pass the, through the cave entrance, and the giant sits there and feels the sheep walking by, They escape the wrath of the giant. You realize the Holy Spirit comes and he makes you accessible, acceptable to Jesus and to God. Otherwise, we would have been bent into destruction. Our own nature, we inherited sin that we were born with that would destroy us. But through belief, we're recreated, reborn by the Spirit of God that dwells in you. And by being united with Jesus, we are accepted by God and his holy wrath is withheld. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just mask you from God. 
He doesn't let you just sneak in like, hey, look at me, while you're walking in the back into heaven, okay? He completely remakes you. Going to a New Testament story, Jesus is interacting with a, a, a high-level religious leader. This is John chapter 3, and it says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we all know that God sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can now hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? When we believe in Jesus, we are literally born again in and through the Spirit. If you've been here for a long time, this illustration will be familiar to you, but a pastor that mentored me gave this thought. He said, when you come to God, it's like you're dead inside, crumpled up, corrupted. Your heart is stone cold. You know, in the beginning, Adam, God formed him together out of dirt and mud, and he blew life into him. He blew his spirit into man. The Bible says you're dead and you come back to life. So what comes back to life? Is it your thoughts in your mind? Is it your physical body? Those things remain the same. The thing that comes back to life is not just a metaphor. It is literal. Is your spirit. That crumpled dead thing, God begins to blow life back into you. And that spirit comes alive again. The Spirit, through the Spirit, you are reborn, rejuvenated, remade in God's image. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't just mask you from an angry God. He remakes you in His image, acceptable, willing to come home, to be the son and daughter that you were always meant to be. Hope you realize how amazing this is, how beautiful this is, that a holy God, all-powerful, has grafted you in, invited you in, completed, uh, welcomed you into the family of God and accepts you. The Holy Spirit did all these things without you even realizing it. When you said yes, you believed. When you believed, you received the Holy Spirit. He dwells with you, he recreates you, and he reorients, reorients your life around the kingdom of God. He makes us acceptable to God and leads us to truth and new depths of life that we have not yet discovered. Is that picture up, guys? Do we have that? A few weeks ago, months ago, in the sum, middle of summer, I was out running. And I ran by, and actually Dave and Sherry, this is by your house, I think. And so I was running... And I was running down this path, and I did this big loop around this tree, and I had to stop, and I looked back, and I thought, what in the world is going on right now? And you see that these guys literally, instead of pulling this tree out, 
went all the way around the tree. I used to do concrete. Every summer from from high school through college, I did concrete work. I can tell you that doing this is much, much more difficult than making a straight path. To find the radius, to find the right boards, instead of just using a two-by-four to go down that path, you have to go around something like that to make it all fit and work so it's beautiful to even edge a radius like that is much harder than a straight line. It costs more materials, it's more effort, it's more work. But this is such a wonderful picture of what the Holy Spirit begins to do inside of us. It's easier just to live our life like we always did. But when the Holy Spirit comes in and he recreates, renews, makes a new life inside of you, he literally reorients your life around the kingdom of God. He takes all the things inside of us, the passions and the pleasures and the desires and everything that we have, and he reorients it around the kingdom of God. Jesus said you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you've been born from the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit begins to make you into the image, into the thing that he desired and destined you to be. And so you'll find that things that you used to find comforting no longer bring comfort. The vices and the sins that we used to run to to numb ourselves to be able to cope with life no longer satisfy. You'll realize that when you react in anger, when you gossip in the office, when you treat your wife or kids or dog poorly, when you flip somebody off in traffic or get mad at them for driving too slow or too fast, you'll realize that that does not not affect you, that you can't be unaffected by that, that the Holy Spirit comes in and starts whispering, starts tugging, starts pulling your mind back to the image of Jesus. He starts convicting in the most loving ways possible because he's saying that's no longer you. You've been remade, you've been reshaped, you've been reformed. Your life is now oriented around Jesus Christ, around the kingdom of God. We literally rebuilt the road, rebuilt the trajectory of your life, and we surrounded it around God's word. And that's why when you become a Christian, the things of your old life no longer satisfy That's why when you become a Christian, you're not forced to, but you naturally, through the conviction and the leading of the Holy Spirit, begin to change your life. Why when you haven't picked up your Bible in a long time, when you haven't prayed in a long time, when you haven't been to church or to small group in a long time, you begin feeling that ache to be back to open the Bible again, to read it, to pick up your your worship songs or your podcasts or whatever it is to enter into the kingdom of God, the life that God has supplied for you. Because he's literally reoriented you around the kingdom of God. And all of the things that we just talked about today are just one way to serve a peanut butter and jelly sandwich.